Oh, there is joy in the house of the Lord today, isn't there? Incredible blessing. Grab your Bibles, would you please? Open them up to 2 Corinthians chapter 6. 2 Corinthians chapter 6. We have been talking about pursuing God and doing a, pursuing a righteous life. We were hanging a little bit around in the book of 2 Corinthians. So I'm going to go back to it a little bit more today. As you are turning there, um, I, I heard this story before, and I probably have said it before, but again, you get to my age. I'm getting to that age now where I start to repeat myself, and somebody like, I heard that story before. You've, I even said this to, to Clay the other day. I said, you know, there's that, that one sermon I love, and, and I said, if I preached that one before, he goes, maybe twice, Dad. Okay. Oh, I just love that sermon. And uh, so I get to that age, so you may have heard this before, but it was, it's a story about a little boy who was in the church, and he was listening to the pastor talk. And as he listened to the pastor, he started having all these questions sort of pop up in his mind. Because the pastor was talking about having Jesus in your heart. And that little boy, is, is, you could see the wheels turn. And church service was done. The little boy went over to the pastor and said, Pastor, you were talking today. You said, when we pray and we ask for forgiveness, you said that God hears us and forgives us, right? Yes, that's right. And you said then that we asked Jesus to come into our heart. Is, was, is that what you said? Yes, that's right. And you've also talked about how Jesus was, was a man that maybe as tall as you, Pastor, is, right? And he goes, yeah, that's right. You see the boy thinking for a little bit. goes, so if Jesus was a man about your size and he comes to live in our hearts, don't you think he should be sticking out a little bit? I think so. And that's exactly what it should look like for us as Christians when we pursue this righteous life. As we pursue this righteous life, Jesus should be just busting out of us like a pregnant woman ready to give birth. Sorry, ladies, if that's not too much, but I was just, it's obvious when somebody who's nine months and they're walking into the hospital, you know why they're there. Something's sticking out and somebody's ready to come out. And spiritually speaking, it's the same way as believers in Christ. Jesus is just ready to like, you just know, you can look at somebody and say, man, I see Jesus in you. And he's just ready to come out. Maybe not the best illustration. But anyway, we've been talking about this righteous life because we are the church. We are a body of believers. We are called out. We are different from the rest of this world. We are built with purpose by Jesus. And we are a stronghold. And we are to be victorious. Well, James, the brother of Jesus, he even got a little bit stronger with this. And saying, yeah, we're all that, but... Let's just draw the line here. James, the brother of Jesus, said this. He said, don't you realize that friendship with the world makes you an enemy of God? I'll say it again. You want to be a friend of the world? You've made yourself an enemy of God. Even the brother of Jesus is like, listen, either you're pursuing Jesus or you're not. And if you're not pursuing Jesus, you're an enemy of him. That's pretty direct and to the point. He got it. But he knew what his brother Jesus was saying about being different from the world. He knew that if we choose to follow Jesus Christ, you are choosing to be friends with God. And if you're choosing to be friends with God, you're going to be choosing to go in a direction that's different than the rest of this world. You will be different from the rest of this world. You and I, if you've placed your faith in Jesus Christ, you are in a new position. You have a new title. You are considered to be righteous. 
To be righteous means to be right standing with God. Romans 3.22 says this, We are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. This is true for everyone who believes, no matter who you are. Paul also said this in Romans 5.1, Therefore, since we've been made right in God's sight by faith, we have peace with God because of what Jesus Christ, our Lord, has done. Again, it's your faith. It's not your actions. Harrison is not a believer in Christ yet. Someday we pray he will make that decision, but his parents can't make that decision for him. I can't work my way into heaven. I can't do enough good deeds to get into heaven. It's by faith. It's by faith that I am made right with God, is what Scripture tells us. Romans 10.10 says this, For it is by believing in your heart that you're made right with God. It's by openly declaring in your faith that you are saved. So church, if you are right with God, you're no longer a friend of this world. You're called out. You're different. We're going to pursue righteous living. We now follow Jesus Christ. We now open up his word. We follow his word. We are now going against the flow of the rest of this world as we are pursuing this righteous life. 1 John 3.10 says this. This is amazing scripture. Because somebody's asked me many times, like, do you know where people stand? Can you tell if somebody's a Christian or not? Listen to what John says. So now we can tell who are children of God and who are children of the devil. Anyone who does not live righteously and does not love other believers doesn't belong to God. Wow. So as a Christian, I better be pursuing a righteous life. First Timothy chapter six, verse 11. We've referenced that scripture. And he also, Paul also wrote another second letter to Timothy. Second Timothy two twenty two. In these two scriptures, listen very carefully. I'll read them both. So, You, Timothy, a man of God, run from all these evil things. Now listen to what he says. Pursue righteousness and a godly life along with faith, love, perseverance, and gentleness. Now in his second letter, he says this. Run from anything that stimulates youthful lust. Instead, pursue, here it comes, righteous living, faithfulness, love, and peace. Through that one in new, enjoy the companionship of those who call on the name of the Lord with pure hearts. Timothy is being told here by the Apostle Paul, he goes, you need to stop where you're going right now in your pursuit, turn and pursue the things of God. As the world's going one way, we stop pursuing those things and we now pursue the things that honor God. This righteous living includes faithfulness. Love, peace, gentleness, perseverance, these things that he listed. When you think about this, it's like, well, but what does that look like for you and I? Because if I'm telling you to pursue righteous living, something like, I mean, how? How do I pursue righteous living? Second Corinthians chapter 6, hopefully you're there in the Bible. We've got Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, Second Corinthians chapter 6. Let's look at verse 6. Verse 6, and I put a couple key words up on the screen. It says this. We prove ourselves. Here we go. This is how, here's the proof that I'm living righteously. We prove ourselves by our purity, by our understanding, 
by our patience, by our kindness. By the way, the Holy Spirit works within us by our sincere love. When you're looking at somebody, you'll see these things as they're pursuing Christ. It goes on to say, we faithfully preach the truth. God's power is working in us and we're, we're using weapons of righteousness in the right hand for attack, which is the sword of the Spirit, and in the left hand for defense, which is the shield of faith. He goes, we serve God. We're honest. We always have joy. We give spiritual riches to others. So what, what Paul's saying here is, it's, it's obvious that you're different. If you're pursuing a righteous life, it is obvious that you are different. That you're moving in a way that nobody else moves. You stick out. Or should I say, Jesus is sticking out of you. That's what it means to pursue a righteous life. I mentioned this last week, though. If you remember, I said, as soon as you choose to stop flowing with this world and start pursuing this righteous life, you're going to start running into people going the other direction. It's called opposition. There's going to be moments that you're going to just, people are just going to be angry with you because of what you believe. They're going to make fun of you because of what you believe. They're going to ridicule you because of what you believe. They will make life hard for you because of what you believe. Jesus told his disciples, he said this, Luke chapter 21, starting in verse 9. He said this, when you hear of wars and insurrections, don't panic. Yes, these things must first take place, but the end won't follow immediately because the disciples are like, when is it all going to end? Jesus, when are you said you're leaving, but when are you going to come back? And when are you going to take us with you and start your new kingdom? Jesus went on to say, he said, nation will go to war against nation, kingdoms against kingdoms. There'll be great earthquakes. There'll be famines. There'll be plagues. And in many lands, there will be terrifying things, great miraculous signs from heaven. Now listen carefully. You know it's getting near the end when these things are happening. But he said to his disciples, he said this, but before all this occurs, listen, there will be a time of great persecution. You will be dragged into synagogues and prisons. You will stand trial before kings and governors because you're my followers. Jesus, you following me? I turn. This is the direction I'm going. You, you follow me? You'll be dragged into court. You'll be persecuted. You might stand trial. You might be in prison for your faith. Some of you are going to lose your life because you're following me. Are you ready to do that? He says in verse 13, he goes, but this, this will be your opportunity to tell others about me. Remember last week we said there's obstacles and opportunities in life. You get to take those obstacles, flip the coin, say, let's make this an opportunity to live for Jesus. Jesus says, that moment you're standing trial, that moment you're in prison, that moment you're in persecution, that's your opportunity to tell others about me. He goes on to say, I'll give you the right words and such wisdom that none of your opponents will be able to reply or refute you. In that moment of persecution, God will give you the words to say. And people around are like, whoa, where did that come from? Can't argue that. Verse 16, even those closest to you, your parents, brothers, relatives, friends, they may betray you. They'll even kill some of you. But everyone, listen very carefully, church, everyone will hate you because you are believers. You're being warned right now. 
When you decide to pursue righteousness, when you choose to follow life of Christ, people will hate you. But he says this, but not a hair on your head will perish. By standing firm, you will win souls. When you are being persecuted for your faith, you are standing for the Lord. He will protect you, and you, other people will come to know Jesus because of you. And when he says he's protecting you, he's talking about eternity. Your life in his hands is secure. Your life may come to an end here on earth, but it lasts forever with him. Persecution is just a part of life, he's saying. For some of us, it's not just persecution. For some of us, it's isolation. You feel like you're alone. I'm the only one out there that believes this. I'm the only one in my school living for the Lord. I'm the only one at work that that stands up and will do the right thing, and everybody else around me is doing the wrong thing. I just feel so alone. And and this this isolation is, is not good. Poor me, poor, poor me. Well, newsflash, you're not alone. Church, look around. Hundreds of people are pursuing him. You're not alone. You have brothers and sisters in Christ who stand with you. In that moment, in that location, at the workplace, in school, you may feel alone. You are not alone. You are not alone. You are only alone if you choose to be alone. Let me point out a difference here. Sometimes people think about, like, because we say, you need to get alone with God. We're not talking about isolating. So there's, there's, a, there's a part of pursuing Christ is getting alone with him. Not getting alone and isolating yourself from the world, but getting alone with God. I often tell people how important it is. It's so good to get alone with God because the purpose is to draw near to him, to get away from the distraction of the world. You feel alone in this world because you're surrounded by the world and you think you're supposed to be a part of it. You're not. You are with the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. He is with you. Jesus often withdrew in the wilderness to pray by himself. And we're like, so you want to be like Jesus? Get alone with your Heavenly Father. He did. Billy Graham said this, It's not easy to shut out the world. Set aside a few minutes by yourself. Spend time in God's Word and prayer. But it is essential if we're going to grow in our relationship with God and be strengthened for the battles ahead. Don't delay. Begin now to spend time alone with God every day. Every day. Think about this. When you are drawing away for your quiet time, it's just for a short moment. It's for a season. It's not for it's not forever. You are drawing away to be with God, to be encouraged, to be strengthened, to learn. See, the body of Jesus Christ, we don't draw away from each other to pursue an unrighteous life. We might draw I might draw away from you for a little bit. Because I'm drawn close to God. I need to get alone and be with Him. And then come back to you. Often the result of my preaching is a result of multiple quiet times throughout the week. Where I'm getting alone with God. God, what am I supposed to say? God, what am I supposed to preach? God, is this the right thing? God, what am I supposed to be doing in my life? And my my quiet time, my alone time directs my pursuit. Because I'm part of the body of Christ. Because I'm connected to you. We are part of a body. And it would be crazy to think that I can live my life without the body. 
It's like if I had a prosthetic arm or a prosthetic leg and I go to bed at night and I take off that prosthetic. And it's like, well, that's what I do, right? The body of Christ doesn't function that way. We are connected. It takes effort and discipline to pursue this righteous life. As soon as I change direction, I'm pursuing this righteous life, it's going to take effort. And I can't do it alone. I need God to help me. But you know what really helps? Is if i got another brother or sister walking with me. Because it's going to take effort. It's going to take discipline. You find somebody who's going to be, it's like a good workout partner for those of you who like to get physically fit, right? You find somebody that's going to run with you or work out with you. Say you go into the weight room. You're going to say, hey, uh, I'm going to be there at 5 o'clock. It's like you show up late. Your work partner's like, you said 5. Be here on time. Your work par- workout partner's there to make sure that you show up on time and then you work out together. They hold you accountable. When you want to cheat and, well, I was going to do 6 reps and I'm on number 5 and I'm going to stop, your, your workout partner says, ah, one more, push it. You said 6, let's go. And they encourage you. That's what the body of Christ does. We encourage each other along. We don't let each other skip out on our workouts and do and cheat our time. We team up with people who are like-minded, pursuing a, and seeking a righteous life. Paul talks about that in this book. Look at your 2 Corinthians chapter 6, right? Look at verse 14 with me. Verse 14 says this. Don't team up with those who are unbelievers. How can a righteousness be partnered with wickedness? How can light live with darkness? What harmony can there be between Christ and the devil? How can a believer be a partner with an unbeliever? And what union can there be between God's temple and idols? See, some people were not pursuing this righteous living, and some in the early church were starting to pull away from their righteous pursuit. And Paul calls them out and says, what are you guys doing? You are partnering with the wrong people. You're the body of Christ. We work together in this, this pursuit. And some of you are pulling away. Matter of fact, the writer in Hebrews said not to neglect gathering together. It's like, that's not good. You guys need to keep meeting. Do not forsake meeting together is sort of maybe how you memorize that. He said we need each other. Jesus has called us into a, a community. A community is a group of people, a common group that has unified together. We have a common unity. Our common denominator is Jesus Christ. He is what draws us in together. We need each other. When I look through the Bible, there are so many one another's listed in the scripture, like to pray for one another, love one another. Let me start putting some up here on the screen for you. From starting in John 13, 34, here we go. We're going to love one another. We're going to love each other with genuine affection, take delight in honoring each other. We're going to be like-minded toward one another. We're going to serve one another in love. In Galatians, it says we're going to share each other's burden. Ephesians 4.32, one of my favorites. We're going to be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God for Christ's sake has forgiven us. We're going to speak to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. We're going to encourage each other and build each other up. In Hebrews, we're said we must warn each other every day. We're not to speak evil of one another. We're not to be grumbling against one another. We are to confess our sins and pray for one another. We're supposed to be hospitable towards one another. And in each one, each one of us has received a gift from God. And we're supposed to use that gift... To minister to one another. We are to dress ourselves in humility. And in other words, be humble with one another. And above all things, show deep love for each other. That's a lot of one another's. And there's more. 
do you think it's obviously clear in Scripture that Jesus is saying, you're, you're doing this together. This pursuit and righteous living, you do with one another. It's hard at times. It's messy at times. But it's worth the effort. It is so worth the effort. And together we spur one another on. We grow and we grow together and we grow stronger. And that's community. And, and together, Paul says this in 2 Corinthians chapter uh, chapters 4 through 6. We covered some of those in the previous weeks. He talks about us being ambassadors of God. He says we're jars of clay with the light in us. He says we have the Holy Spirit within us. That's who we are. And he says, because of this is who you are, look what he says. Turn to chapter 7 in 2 Corinthians 6, or 7, 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 1. He says this, because of these promises, being ambassadors for Christ, jars of clay with light, it's the Holy Spirit in us, because of these promises of who we are, he says, let us cleanse ourselves from everything that can defile our body or spirit. Let us work toward complete holiness. Because why? Because we fear God. God is to be in, in awe and respect and honored. We don't toss his name around. We don't flippantly use his name and just like, oh, the big man. No, he is God. He's to be highly respected and honored. And because we fear him, we work together in that pursuit towards him. We want to grow. We want to grow in our faith. Which gets me to that phrase. I don't know, maybe you've heard this before. Grow up. You heard that before? Um, maybe you've said this to your kids. Kids, maybe you've heard your parents say this. Spouses, maybe you just said this this week when you saw them doing something that was really dumb. You're like, grow up, right? But I think about how that phrase has been used in so many different ways from parents, from teachers, from coaches, whoever it may be. When you hear that phrase, especially when it's directed towards you, what's your first thought? It's like, I'm trying to, right? I'm trying to grow up. It's so hard. Paul used it with the church. He looked at the church and he's like, we're supposed to be pursuing Christ, but you're not. This is what he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, starting in verse 1. He says, dear brothers and sisters, he's, he's addressing the church. Brothers and sisters, when I was with you, I couldn't talk to you as I would spiritual people. Do you ever, I remember there's times I'd be with my parents like, we can't talk because there's little ears in the room. I was like, little ears? I got sort of big ears, I thought. Oh, I get it. I'm younger than you. I'm not going to understand parent talk. I, I didn't. But anyway, I had to talk as though you belonged to the world, as though you were infants in Christ. Verse 2, I had to feed you with milk, not solid food, because you weren't ready for anything stronger. And you still aren't ready. Look at verse 3. For you are still controlled by your sinful nature. You're jealous of one another. You quarrel with each other. Doesn't that prove you're controlled by your sinful nature? Aren't you living like people of the world? See, Paul's, Paul's looking around. He says, we're supposed to be pursuing Christ. We're supposed to be growing in our faith. And I'm looking around at you and you're not growing up. It's like he looks at the, at the church. He says, grow up. And it sounds so harsh, doesn't it? It sounds so mean. But basically what he's saying is, you are a certain age, and you're acting like another age. I mean, you sort of line up the age from infant to graduation, wherever it might be. 
And let's say you're at one point in this, this line of, of growing, and, but you're acting like two stages below that. Your behavior is that of someone who's not maturing and not growing. This, this could be dangerous, but let's try it. If I were to magically wave a wand across the congregation this morning, and you were to be changed, your physical age matches your spiritual age, what would you look like physically? For some of us, would we be in a crib? Would we be in diapers? Would we be walking and running? Would we be having a bottle in our mouth right now? Or would we be chewing on steak? Where would you be physically if it matched your spiritual maturity? I don't like it when people like do what I just did to you. I want you to evaluate yourself right now. I don't want to evaluate myself right now. Okay? I, I don't. So I understand where you're sitting right now because it's like, yeah, I don't know if I really want to do this. It's like, I don't want to do it either. Matter of fact, just as long as I'm older than the person sitting next to me, that's all that matters. Okay? If they're in diapers, I'm okay if I'm in preschool. Don't matter. Okay? I just want to be better than the person next to me. And I think about this, Paul, in some ways, he's like looking at these people who say, I'm refusing to grow up. I like the carnal life. I like the fleshly life. I like the sinful life. I like where I'm at. And Paul's saying, but you shouldn't be there. You're pursuing Christ. You should be growing up. Think about this. If this was true of you today physically, you should be discouraged and concerned. You really should be. I should be. Going back to Harrison that was up here. He's so cute. But what if three years from now, he hasn't changed? You're still holding him and carrying him around and changing his diaper. I'd be a little concerned. You'd probably be going to a doctor. You'd be going to a specialist. You're like, he's not growing. We would be so concerned about our loved ones physically because they're not changing. But when it comes to spiritual growth, whatever. Yeah, I know you're not growing. Whatever. Shouldn't we be concerned? Paul was. That's why he wrote this to Timothy. He goes, man, you're 18, but you're still in first grade. What's going on, people? And it was sort of a wake-up call to the church. I was thinking about this. When a deer is born, a deer is born with its eyes open. And within 10 minutes, it's standing. And with a few hours, it's walking. A deer. A human being, when they're born, I don't know if their eyes are necessarily open, but they aren't walking. They aren't standing until maybe, what, nine, ten months? I don't know. It's different for a lot of your children. And then, even then, it's another couple months until they start walking. And another couple months until they start running. It seems like we're so slow in our growth. Sometimes spiritual growth can be a little slow as well. It takes time. But we have the choice in how we want to grow. Spirit, physically speaking, when I was a kid, it's like, man, I want to get tall. I want to be bigger than everybody else. Taller than everybody else, not bigger than it, but I'm going to be taller than everybody else because I was bigger than everybody else. But I want to be taller than everybody else. I want to grow up. Physically, it doesn't happen. How many times have you had somebody in your family that's like, I just wish I could grow up and be in high school, you know, and you know, I just want to be older. You can't control that physically. But you know what you can control? Your spiritual growth. You can actually can do that. Think about this. Where are you at right now? Let me give you a little more evaluation on this. A baby can make a mess, and somebody else has to clean up that mess for the baby. baby can't do it. But a grown-up, when we make a mess, we know how to clean up our messes, right? Let's compare that spiritually speaking. 
A spiritually mature person makes a mess. They don't know how to clean it up. But a spiritually mature person knows how to seek forgiveness and help make that wrong right by going through God. A baby's limited in movement, lays on the floor, sits in a high chair, sleeps in a crib. A grown-up, you're free to move and roam, aren't you? A baby is stubborn and selfish. That's mine. It starts crying when you take it away from them, right? But a grown-up is what? Here, let me share this with you. Let me give this to you. There's a big difference between spiritual maturity and immaturity, right? Grown-up baby. A baby doesn't go to school, but a grown-up is educated and continues to learn. A baby hears instruction but doesn't do anything, right? I could tell Harrison, Harrison, come on up here. He ain't moving. Right? Yeah, well, he's sleeping too, but that helps. But, but a grown-up hears instructions and they act on that. A baby gets all the attention in the world and just prays just for looking good. You can be a baby and just lay there and it's like, oh, he's so cute. And it just goes on and on. Oh, looks so cute. Picture, 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 picture. You've got a thousand pictures of a baby. But when you get older as an adult, you're laying on the couch, you're not cute anymore. Okay? You're just lazy. Right? We don't get that attention anymore. But you know, as an adult, we figured out, I don't need the attention. When you mature as an adult, you're like, I don't need the attention anymore. I got it as a kid. But you know what? It's not about me. See, a spiritually mature person says, it's not about me anymore. Right? A baby has to be fed by somebody else. But a grown-up, we can feed ourselves, right? And I was thinking about this. If the only time, don't take this wrong, but seriously, listen to this. If the only time you open up God's Word is on Sunday when you come to church, you are you are spiritually starving the rest of the week. You're depending on the pastor to feed you. We become spiritually infants when it's like, well, only the pastor can feed me. Not so, church. And you know this. That's why we encourage you to be in God's word, to study, to learn. And, and there's times I've seen Jenny, I'll get home, she's like, she's reading through her Bible, she's popped up in the, the internet, and she's clicked on to, to listen to another message, and she's listening to another pastor, and I'm thinking, who's she listening to? Am I not good enough? I mean, really? She's listening to some other guy. I'm better than him. I want to check out his, he's probably off on his theology, you know. But, but here's the thing. She's feeding herself. She's not expecting me to feed her. She's growing. And that's, that's what spiritual growth looks like. You're striving to grow. So when we come to church, here's like this. You come to church and I come to church. We come here looking for directions in life, right? But when you leave the church, you're still the, the church. You're still a body of believers. You are still responsible for pursuing Jesus on your own, one-on-one with God. You came here, got direction, good, now go. Now listen, it's up to you now to continue that pursuit with Jesus one-on-one. Our goal here at this church, by the way, is, 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 is not church attendance. It's spiritual maturity. And there are times I struggle with that because it's like, man, I would love to see every seat filled. I really would. Because that means something good is happening here, right? Or maybe something entertaining. Maybe we're giving away free pizza. I don't know. So, is it really good to have full seats? Yes, but I would rather have spiritual maturity. I'd rather have men and women that are pursuing a righteous life. Young people who are pursuing a righteous life. Spiritual growth, it's, it's like a map. You come to church figuring out north, south, east, west. But when you leave this church building, you continue that pursuit. And Jesus says, now let me tell you the address. You figured out north, south, east, west here. But once you step outside those doors, let me help you find the direct route. 
let me help you find the address. It's our responsibility to keep that growth going. When you attend small groups, GPS, Tupac, East, whatever it may be, that's that opportunity to take a deeper seat. Like right now, let's pretend this is like a locker room. Okay, you've all come in here. If you're a sport-minded person, this will help you understand this. You've come in here, and, and you're going to listen to the coach talk about uh, the game of, of life and what's going on. You watch game film, and you sort of look over the, the, the playbook, and right? But then you leave the locker room, and you practice the playbook. That's GPS, Tupac, East, West, all of our small groups, opportunities to serve in this church. You're now putting into practice what you learned in the playbook, okay? But then you go away from there into the real world, your workplace, the school. Guess what? Now you are in the game field. You are in the competition. And hopefully what you've learned here and you've practiced within the church, you are now able to compete in this real world. Are you following me, church? The problem is a lot of us, aren't paying attention to the playbook. I've, I've coached before, and I've seen that kid. He gets out to, to play, and he doesn't know the play. Oh, he sat at practice, and he listened. Maybe he fell asleep in the game film. I don't know. But then they get out on the field, and you're like, oh, they have no clue what they're doing. And sometimes I've had parents say, why don't you put my kid in? I said, they don't know what they're doing. They're going to get hurt. And actually, somebody else might get hurt because they're not doing their responsibility, and it might cost somebody else. If they learn to play, I'd love to see them out there. But maybe they're lazy. Maybe they don't want to practice. Maybe they're just not paying attention. God, you know, the the wonderful thing about God, God says, he pulls us over and he says, you don't know the play, do you? No, I wasn't paying attention. Let's try it again. That's the grace of God. God looks at us and says, you, maybe you weren't paying attention. Maybe you weren't putting into practice what, what I've been trying to teach you. Now's the time. Now's the time. And he sort of gets us back out there. What an awesome heavenly father. He, he wants to see us victorious in our pursuit. Worship team, would you come up, please? As a Christian, here's the thing. I, I, I want to pursue God. I really do, church. I, and You know, part, I, I will admit, Part of the thing in me changing my route, my direction, saying I want to pursue Jesus, is one, I know it's the right thing to do as a Christian, but I also want to see amazing things happen in my life and in the life of others. Nothing beats stepping back and seeing other people worship and seeing other people do incredible things for the Lord. I love seeing amazing things. But you know what amazing things are? Amazing things are not my job. That's God's job. He gives me talent, position, whatever it is that God has given me. But what is God first and foremost asking me to do? And I look back into the book of Joshua. And God said, Joshua, that's the promised land. That's your land. I'm giving it to you. That's yours. You're going to take it. And Joshua's standing there. There's a flooded river. There's no way we're going to cross the Jordan. There's just no way we can get across. It, God, I know you want me to pursue this land, but there's opposition. It's called a flooded river. And I, I don't know, I can't get across, right? Maybe I'm going to do something monumental, Joshua's thinking. I'm going to build this big bridge. I'm going to figure out how to create a, a, a big dam that will stop the water and we can go across. Or I'm going to come up with some amazing idea to catapult across this flooded river, right? What does God say? God says in Joshua chapter 3, verse 5, consecrate yourself. 
for tomorrow the Lord will do great wonders among you. Consecrate yourself. What does that mean? That means get alone with God. Get alone with God. Get quiet with God. Start to pursue Him, to walk in His direction. And tomorrow, the Lord will do great wonders among you. It's not you. It wasn't Joshua that stopped the river. It wasn't the priest that stopped the river. It was God who did it. Before any of that was going to happen, before any amazing thing is going to happen, it's our responsibility to get right with God, to get quiet with God, and to pursue God. Then God does amazing things. Would you stand, please? Heavenly Father, what an amazing God you are, and you do amazing things. We are just your ambassadors. We are your jars of clay. Your spirit is within us. We stand right with you. But because we stand right with you, God, you want us to pursue you in a righteous life. And God, living this righteous life, we know it's the right thing to do, but it's the opposition is sometimes challenging. And so we, it's so much easier just to go with the flow. But God, thank you for the wake-up call from Paul. It's just sort of like that, grow up. Just a reminder that we have a responsibility to grow, and we should be concerned if we're not growing. You've given us all the tools that we need to grow. You've given us your word, the Bible. You've given us a church to worship you. You've given us small groups together, and you've given us opportunities to serve, whether it's at the food pantry or on a Wednesday night or a Sunday morning. You've given us so many opportunities to grow. So God, help us to grow closer to you. Help us to grow in our faith with you. Help us as we pursue you to not give up. What an amazing God you are. God, we want to sing to you now, Lord. We, we, want, we want to look like you. We want you just to stick out of us. People can see Christ in us and everything we do. In thy name we pray. Amen.